0: Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer-director star of the show, The Great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: See HomeDepot.com slash delivery for details.
2: Welcome into the Ringerverse. This is, of course, the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. We are Joby. The explainer, a dinner on. You've got questions, he's got answers. We are Steve, the cuddly lover bear. We are Coke Baby Chuck, 24 karat closer. And of course, we are Old Man Van, he of the ever disappearing hairline. Also, he of the book, Fat Crazy Entire, Tales of the Trenches of Transformation. Go buy it right now. <laughs> but together, we are known as uh, Other Midnight Boys. <laughs> program reminders <laughs> <laughs> this Friday Dallas of R will be giving you their deep dives into the fifth episode of Moon Knight and that might take nine hours now Joe you have the for you guys enviable for us Moon Knight boys it would be unenviable task <laughs> of doing a deep dive into this episode which was a doozy. Okay, next week the Ring will be giving you our thoughts on the Moon Knight finale, but then next Friday we're going to give you our instant reactions to Doctor Strange Mom Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness the wait is over it's here we're fired up before we jump into anything, I want to get a quick temperature check. From 1 to 100, what is the temperature of excitement for Dr.
0: Strange? Steve. I'm Sean Paul. It's the right temperature. It's like a 95. I'm real excited. Jomi.
3: I'm at a 97. I'm, I'm ready. I'm raring. Let's go. Charles. Cool
4: spring day. 90 That's a <laughs> that's cool a spring. spring day that's, that's not a spring day. Is, that's a that's, that's, day That's a summer day That's a hot next. summer day See <laughs> that Climate change. Okay, it's hot. messed up. It's, it's messed what? up our whole 90 thing. Degrees? I'm thinking 90 degrees? I think it's breezy.
2: Like it's breezy. I'm at a 90. <laughs> Fuck a breeze. It's 90 <laughs> degrees. That's hot, dog. Like you know in Louisiana, a 90 degree because of the humidity? We haven't oh, even talked about that. Oh, Jesus Christ. That. That's a hot day. It's a hot day anyway. It's hot. 90 degrees. <laughs> a cool spring day. That's like 75, 80. <laughs> uh, um, I'm 100 degrees. I can't wait. The Illuminati will see you now, Steven.
4: Okay. Wait, uh, Uh, before (laughs) we we get into something, I have a public service announcement really quick. Guys, this is a special shout-out and directive to all the Midnight Mob, all the Midnight writers. After you listen to this pod, I want you to get up, get in your car, go to your local Barnes & Noble, go to the cash register, put your hand in there, say, this is your money. This is Van's money. And I want you to get a copy of Fat Crazy Tired. If you can't go to Barnes & Noble... Go back in time. Go to Borders to cop that shit. You don't have the money for it. All right? I want you to go to the library and say, you want the library to pick up fucking five copies. I don't care. I was, wherever they sell books, go to your independent booksellers. Go pick up a copy.
2: Do you guys know that the Midnight Boys and Charles specifically are mentioned in the book? Did you know that? Woo! I didn't get there yet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <I>
2: had- <laughs> well, it's interesting
3: though, right? We're in the book, but I was looking at the, the back flap, right? And it says, "I'm reading this verbatim." Van Lathan Jr. is the co-host of the Ringers Higher Learning podcast, and is best known for as the former co-host. I was like, "The Midnight Boys didn't make the cut." Oh, on the uh, Publication uh,
2: oh. date. Wait, 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 wait. Publication date. Oh. Wait, Shit cuts deep. Wait. Pub- cuts publication deep. date. Publication date. When I, it, 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 it all got fucked up. But there is the second edition coming out where that has not only that, but there are no acknowledgments in the book. So if you look at the book, there are no acknowledgments either. So um, I let the I let some people I delegated some things and they didn't get quite right. But you can I just know.
4: say can I just say that I, when I went to Barnes and Noble, I'm like I need to search for for Van's book and I'm like where would they put this book? I went to memoirs, then I went to the Black people section where they put like like Marcus Garvey shit and it wasn't there. <laughs> and then I had to go to like the self help and I was just like oh Charlemagne the gods here and then you were next.
2: <laughs> right there you go, self help. I really appreciate the love. Please get a copy of the book. So proud of you, man. Thank you. That's man. awesome, man. Um, on today's show, we're gonna be giving you our thoughts on Moon Knight's fifth episode. Um, we're gonna stop fucking around. Let's get into it. Uh, before we do this, we have to make sure that you guys don't hear something that you came here to hear, which is an instant reaction to something that we've all just watched. Steve, give me my spoiler warning. We're getting ready to talk about Moon Knight. You're listening to a reaction podcast. The spoilers are coming. Uh, all right. Of course, in order to give you the need to know what you have to know on this particular episode, we have to get into the Midnight Manifest. This is Chuck Wagon's station.
4: Take Wait, away, before Charles. we get into it, I got to ask you guys, this is, this Midnight Manifest is like triple the length of the other ones because there's just so much that happens in this episode. What should we do? Like, I was writing this. I'm just like, I don't know. What to do? It's just going to be super long. Is there any way you could speed my voice up in post? I could.
0: I could do <laughs> and that. And it's like an hour. Because
2: this thing is <laughs> fucking long.
4: oh about,
0: about
2: get... This right. thing is fucking long. Let's right. not do that, all
3: right? How old are you, man? Yeah, are, for what, what real, dude. Doing, 42. Dog? That was so low-reaching, it wasn't even clever, man. Yeah, bro,
2: bro. I didn't
3: say it. Charles
2: said it. I didn't. So was well, you talking to me? If you, I'm trying to keep this. I'm listen. Every time I do that, you guys think I'm being fresh. What I'm doing is trying to keep this a PG-13 podcast, man. Because you guys be going off the Jomey. We know how you get down. You know what? You talking all of this shit to me. <laughs> you don't get to talk shit until we revoke Deep Shadow Protocol. You don't get to talk because you brought the wildest <laughs> shit on the podcast, and it was from your real life until Deep Shadow yeah, Protocol is addressed on this <laughs> podcast I don't want to is... hear any rebukes from Jomie the explainer yeah. or dinner on. Charles That's I don't give a fuck if it takes three hours do your manifest Steve alright let's out get, out get into the midnight manifest
4: guys for this midnight manifest We're starting with The Asylum, directed by Mohamed Deeb, written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton. We start with Mac back at Putnam Medical Facility, sitting in front of Harrow, who is telling him his mind is violently facilitating between sense and nonsense. Marquez told Dr. Harrow about being in a similar psych ward with a hippopotamus. Then Harrow says, quote, the struggling mind will often build places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self from our most traumatic events. It's called an organizing principle then harold offers that the hippo might be able to break down the barrier between the stephen personality and the mark personality mark then freaks out is restrained pumped with drugs and when he wakes up he's back with stephen and Tyrat, the egyptian god of childbirth and fertility that has the face of a hippo Tyrat informs the duo that they're dead and in the realm of the duo, a.k.a. the Egyptian underworld. Tara says, quote, an afterlife, not the afterlife. You'd be surprised how many intersectional planes of untethered consciousness exist. And then she mentions the astral plane that has been seen in Black Panther. What further complicates matters is the human brain can comprehend this realm. And that's why Mark and Steven see it as a psych ward. Mark goes through a door and ends up on a boat sailing for Aru, the Field of Reeds. Towerette rips out Mark and Steven's heart to weigh them on the scales of justice and the feathers of truth to see if the duo is balanced enough to spend life in peaceful eternity. The scales aren't balanced and Towerette sends them back to the psych world to find some. Mark thinks they should kill Towerette, but Stephen moves through their halls of memories. Eventually, Stephen finds a room filled with all the people Mark killed as Moon Knight and the scales start slowing down once Mark takes responsibility for his actions. Then a kid appears, which Stephen chases into another room without Mark. Steven then sees Mark's life as a child with a little brother named Roro. It's revealed that later gators is something Mark would say to his mom. Roro would always draw a fish with one fin. And Conchu’s skeleton head is similar to the dead bird skeleton outside of a cave Mark and Roro frequent. Mark and Roro go to this cave, but Roro is drowned when a storm appears out of nowhere. Steven and Mark then appear at Roro's funeral, where Mark's mom blames her youngest son's death on child Mark. Steven then sees a series of Mark's birthdays that are ruined by his mom's hatred of him. Before Steven can go into childhood Mark's room, grown-up Mark stops him. A teenage Mark finally leaves his home, even as his father begs him to stay. Then... Mark and Steve end up at the site of a massacre. Mark explains that he went AWOL, got to start for the military, and he went work for hire for his old CL Bushman. The job they're looking at was for him to raid an Egyptian tomb. In the comics, Bushman is the arch enemy of Moon Knight who appeared in 1980's Moon Knight number one. Bushman is the one who killed all the witnesses. A blood-soaked Mark from the past is about to kill himself in Khonshu's tomb when the god offers to save him. Then Stephen tells Mark that Khonshu seems to have been manipulating him from the start. Mark and Steven then end up back on the ship where Tyrette sees Harrow sending souls down to the underworld for their time. Mark and Steven convince her to send them back to the land of the living to defeat Harrow and Ahmet, but first they must go through Osiris' portal. Mark and Steven must balance the scales and Steven thinks they need to go back to Mark's childhood bedroom, the one he's been avoiding this entire time. Finally, Mark freaks out and is back with Dr. Harrow. Harrow then asks Mark if he created Stephen to hide from all the horrible things Mark has done or Stephen created Mark to punish the world for what his mom did to him. Stephen and Mark watch as a child. Mark makes up the Stephen personality as a coping mechanism for his mother of physically abusing him. Mark tells Stephen that his mother died two months ago, which Stephen can't seem to cope with. The Steven personality goes back to Harrow's office where through a series of events, he comes to grips with the fact that his mom is dead. And we travel back in time to Mark going... Going back home on the day of his mother, Shiva, when it emotionally becomes too much for past Mark, he becomes Steven and calls his mom as as if she's still alive. Mark and Steven make it back to the boat, but their hearts didn't bounce in time. Mark and Steven must fight spirits trying to drag them down, but Steven is taken overboard and becomes sand. With Steven's death, the scales are finally balanced and Mark ends up in the fields of reeds. Guys, that has been our very, very long midnight manifest for the asylum.
2: Wow. I have to be honest with you. I tuned it out. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I told you guys it was very, very long.
4: It was very, very long. There was so much that happened in this episode. I was just like, "Yeah, okay." There is Uh, way too much plot for how much we are learning.
2: (laughs) Before we get to Jomi, uh, Steve. First of all, do you have Jomi's prediction on on queued up? Do you have it on tape? Okay, cool. Um, before we get to Jami, because Jami made a bold prediction last week. Let, Charles, let's start off with you and me as far as the answer reactions are concerned. What did you think of this episode? I think this
4: episode addressed a lot of my concerns. I think emotionally what's happening in this episode is the stuff that I've been wondering for a really, really long time. What is the purpose of having this superhero who's dealing with mental illness? What is the thing under it? What is the, what is the emotional um, underpinnings of... These personalities. And I think what we get in this episode is so much information. We finally find out that Mark, like in the comics, is Jewish. We find out about his family. We find out, we see what happens with Kanchu. And that, yes, it seems that Kanchu has been manipulating him. And then we kind of get these series of very, very traumatic events that clues you in to why he had to create Stephen. So in terms of that, I think a lot of what I had been asking for was addressed. But as I left the episode, I was just like, there are so many interesting nuggets in this episode that are fit within the framework of like 45 to 50 minutes that I was just like, damn, I kind of wish this episode had more room to breathe because it had so many interesting things going on with it. But they happened so quickly. I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need more of that. I need to understand that. What about you, then?
2: It was a good episode, but I don't think I enjoyed it. Hmm. It was just a lot. You know what I mean? That, like This is the most emotionally weighty MCU episode ever to me. And probably one of the most emotionally weighted weighty MCU offerings ever. I can't think of anything that was uh, more grueling than this. And I'll tell you why. So when we're talking about all these characters are make-believe, right? But it didn't feel like it in this episode to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so watching uh, Scarlet Witch grieve Vision, it's very tough seeing her go through this. But Vision is a robot. You know? All right. Let's not do that. And, and like, and, and come let's on, not man. do that. No. we Let me keep it all the way real. You know, it's <laughs> like there is something to where I'm like, there's something a little weird about Wanda. Vision, Oh, <laughs> my like, God. He's oh, going, come on. A man, you know, come on. Now, that's the whole right, thing. Come on. If Vision, if
4: Vision wasn't a person, he wouldn't have been able to lift uh, Mjolnir. So, like, eh, let's whatever.
2: Like, but I, I just, I'm not saying that you guys are wrong, but what I'm saying is, because Vision is an artificial life form, there's something that 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 would stop me from like having the same. I, I felt ba- I feel I feel for her watching someone be penalized all their life because they were party to, or a part of, or there when, or being held responsible for. The death of their younger brother. That's some dayline NBC shit. You know what I'm saying? Like that. <gasps> that that's some Netflix fucking 12-parter type shit. That's some document, that's some real world. This is a HBO movie, you're watching it at 8:30. It really kind of took me out of Moon Knight being a fantastical sort of uh MCU offering and more about a grounded drama about trauma and about what happens to people and they kept coming when, when, when that whole thread started to happen the show became a little bit different to me and it got to a point to by the end of it I was wrapped up in my emotions but I don't know if I'll ever watch that episode of television again. So I mean I, I'm gonna, here's the thing,
4: I'm gonna be real storytelling wise I think the reason to me emotionally I cared more when Wanda's kids are taken away, when Vision is taken away, when all of these emotional things, whether it's like Black Panther's father or whatever, is because you get you get set up. You get why this person is important to them. You know what I mean? And the thing that I think tripped me up about this episode is that like I inherently knew it was emotional because I knew what was happening to Mark and Steven or what was happening to Mark is emotional. The thing that was hard for me to connect with is that like we just got interviewed introduced to his brother. We just got introduced to his mom. We just got introduced to his father. And I was just like, I actually wanted to see more of them. I didn't want to see that his mom was like a loving mom one second and then like uh, a very, very tormented person the next. I kind of wanted to see that more gradually. First of all, I'll tell you something
2: real quick. All right. You're Dr. Michael Morbius. You're a living vampire. No soul, no heartbeat cold. Bruh. (laughs) <laughs> so we see Black Panther, right? The first time we see T'Chaka, T'Chaka's out there, he's talking to the UN or whatever. They ace my man out. Yeah. It's it's sad, bro. It's very sad. We see the first thing we see T'Chaka in, he dies. He has one time one chance to say I'm he says I'm very happy, baba. And then after that, not happy no more. Chaka out of here. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm not saying that we I'm saying we didn't really get to know T'Chaka now, and Black Panther a little bit more. We talked to Chaka to T'Chaka. But the first time we see him in that one, he's giving the five fingers of death to Sterling K. Brown in Oakland. Stabbed his brother in the chest. Yes, but what I would say is we get an entire
4: movie where we're kind of getting to see how large his legacy looms. Where it's like, with this in Moon Knight, we're just like, his brother, his mom, and his dad, we only kind of get snapshots of that. And then they're like, all right, they're dead now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Charles, what if I told
2: you, though, what if I told you just a story? Forget about the people that we know. About a mother who blamed her one son for her other son's death. That is some By the way, that is something that has happened and does happen in these Absolutely. situations like that, like where where uh, I've seen it. I saw a documentary where uh there was a mom who was um who was with one of her sons and had left to go buy something and one of the sons got kidnapped. And then she couldn't she blamed herself at first, then she blamed the other son for not for losing track of his brother. And so like it, I I've I've seen all of this stuff. It never happens to girls, by the way. They know how to take care of each other. Like, get you a good woman. But but it it but 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 in this situation, I'm looking at this and I am swept up in the drama of it. Okay, before we go off on a tangent just on that one aspect of it, because there's so many things that happened in this episode. Uh, I want to address Jomi real quick. I, better yet, I want Jomi to address you guys. Last week, Jomi made a bold prediction about this episode of MCU television. And in his reaction, I want him to, I want to give Jomi a chance to prove why he was right. This is Jomi's prediction.
3: The next episode is going to be, I I'm going to call my shot. It's going to be one of the best episodes of MCU television that we have seen so far.
2: Okay, Jomi. Yes, sir. Do you think you were
0: right? Yes. I, I, I do <laughs> think I was right. Of course, Jomi thinks he's right. I do think I was right. <laughs> okay. Right? Cue the Jomi is Right theme song.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. But in this case, I think I'm right. When I, when I'm last week, I thought that what we were going to see was an Oscar Isaac. Masterclass, And we did. He was incredible this week. What do you what What do you mean? What, what's that look, Van? No, nah, he was incredible,
2: but that's, he, not, that's not all you said. On. It wasn't can just I, about can Oscar. I, can okay, I, go can I continue? Can hey, I you got an ISO, baby? Hey, baby! Do your thing, hey. baby!
3: <laughs> he was in his bag this week going from Steven to Mark. Maybe a little bit of Jake. I don't, I don't know. The scene where they're in the hallway and Tyra has told him like, you guys got to figure it out. Like there's, we're about to hit the, the gates you need. There's one more thing you guys got to figure out. And he's in in the, he's in the hallway and Steven's like, dude, you gotta show me what's in that room for Layla for, for the world right now. And Steven is just like, you know, trying to, trying to plead, beg his way. And Mark is like, no, you can't make me die. No, no. That's the same person, man. <laughs> and we're getting, and throughout the episode, right, you see it. But in that scene, just to see them go back and forth, you, you forget that you're not watching like two like two actors trading barbs. You're seeing one man do it. And then to, hold on, and then to go back <laughs> outside, outside his mom's house, right? And it's, it's, I thought Oscar Isaac was incredible. Now, the best penultimate episode of the MCU series. Now, let's, let's, let's think about this, right? We have the <laughs> WandaVision episode, right? Where it's basically the same thing. We have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier boat episode where they, they fix the boat and yeah. they, they conversate, right? We have Loki, the Loki episode Loki. with, um, where they're in the, the sure void or whatever they called it. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, we're not even gonna think about what if. Uh, uh-huh. and then we have uh Hawkeye. Next uh-huh. episode where um we see the, the kingpin on the on the phone. Screenshot <laughs> 480p. Yeah. <laughs> That's up there. I would in fact, I would say it's right behind the the Loki episode. Wait, 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 wait. We went on the
4: thing. You're supposed to be defending your choice, Joni.
3: Wait. What? Did I say behind? Wait. Hold on. Hold on. You did I say it? behind? No. 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 I misspoke. I misspoke. I misspoke. I misspoke. I No. 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 You didn't I miss- keep misspoke. That, uh, keep that. in there, Steve. I keep yeah, that in no. There. I Steve, edit this out. <laughs> no, 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 I no. 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 Why? Why were we edit it? Post credits, just... post credits. Post credits. No. Post credits. No. What? No. I misspoke. Wait. See. Wait. Wait. I misspoke. It is ahead of the Loki episode. But Jomie, so I think it's ahead of those episodes. But Jomie, so you're saying?
2: So you're saying? just so we know yeah it's that the prediction those was right and that this yes. is the best pineapple. steve you got to do it you have to have to come on it's the best yes. have to. it is not
4: it is not better than the loki penelope It's penalty. not. So no, not it's not right. I, come I think on, it is I, I think on. it's i think <laughs> Charlie, it's more, come on, because
3: man. here's the thing right <laughs> we got to meet we got to meet uh Bo, we got to meet um classic loki in that episode <laughs> right, right? <laughs> so him you know sacrificing himself using the magic to save um, Loki and uh, and Sylvie, it's great, right? It's fantastic. Like, okay, wow, we're seeing like somebody who we think we know follow through these movies and like in a different vein, like do something that we've never seen a Loki do, which is sacrifice himself. Right? That is good. That is emotional. That's pretty cool. You guys just talked about it for like ten minutes. Why this episode was some of the most haunting, some of the that most that doesn't impress you? But, but that's what, what I'm saying.
2: Say, you said that's, you didn't say the most emotional episode. If you, you said, said this it was one of the best. most emotional pen,
3: penultimate episodes, I would agree listening. with you. But y'all not listening? It, I'm trying a difference to say best and most. But emotional. I am trying to say is that because looking at Stephen and Mark's history together seeing where Steven comes from, seeing what made Mark, Mark, how he became Moon Knight, all that emotion, all that backstory, everything that we saw this week, how it all wraps, how it all, how it wraps everything up. You, under, you understand about Steve Mark's, or Steven's mom. You understand about Mark's mom. You understand where they came from. That was great television, right? Was it, the, I don't, well, frankly, I don't really
2: rate, the other penultimate episodes that high, to be honest with you. Steve. Yes, fan. I need you to come in right now and be the voice of reason. Okay. I don't, I'm not asking you to take sides. Okay. I'm going to ask you one simple question. I want mm-hmm. a yes or a no. You got it. Steve, please do not attempt to petty fog nope. or in any way. <laughs>
0: uh, you will get a yes or no answer from me. This is a congressional it's- hearing. Is Genica, this no. the
2: best penultimate episode in the history of the Genica. Disney MCU Plus shows? No. It's not. Joby. I'm right. I'm,
3: so, I'm I'm really right.
2: At, <laughs> I think the people, the people will <laughs>
3: side with me.
0: I will, si- I will side with Joby to a, a large degree in saying that a lot of this episode brought probably the biggest emotional heft that the MCU in total has given. I just said, I totally that, agree. I agree. I agree with that. And totally for that idiot. that alone, it deserves its flowers because it's really something that's special that I didn't even know the MCU could do. And I, I think for that, it deserves a lot of credit. It, For me personally, it doesn't uh, match up quite as much to the Loki penultimate finale or penultimate episode, but it, it was really something special and uh, something that the MCU uh, has never done before.
2: All right, Charles, let's talk about Mark and Steven's journey right here. Um, how did you like the parallels between Arthur's examination and the journey they were on in the realm of duet? So duet, the duet, duet, duet. Um, so it seems we keep coming back to the examination room, right? And we, we keep coming back to And by the way, I like the interplay between Mark and Steven in this episode. It, uh, this seemed like the episode where they really became brothers to be honest with you and which made just the ending of it that much harder Um, what did you think about the parallels between what was going on in Harold's examination and uh, you know we were just talking about the journey in the realm of Duat
4: yeah I think this episode did a very very smart job of showing so many versions of kind of duality you had you had Mark and Steven you know one dressed in black the other dressed in white you start seeing through this that like, this is not only they're dead, they're in the afterlife, but they're going through their memories of life. So you have life and death. Even something as simple as when, when young Mark is making the, his personality of Steven, part of me was just like, oh, it's so smart that one of the last times you hear his brother Roro speak they're playing this game of trying to be this explorer from this movie they love. And then Stephen is quite literally him trying to recreate a version of his brother. That's who Steven, like that brotherhood is kind of, he's creating a Roro, a memory of when their mom was, was more loving and nicer to them. And I thought that this episode did a very, very good job of kind of showing the yin and yang of kind of not only Mark and Steven, but of this entire kind of world. What about you?
2: So for me, I thought, I thought it did a great job of connecting the experience because at the end of this episode, it happens to Mark again. He loses a younger brother again. Steven is Mark's younger brother. He created him in order to, to, you know, deal with the trauma that he was going through but still he knows things he's been around longer um and as this episode goes on you see mark be more protective of steven probably much in the same way he was protective of roro and he fails again uh at the end of it to save this version of himself that shares the same environment that he has that's like younger than him and uh, watching him come to terms with the fact that he's more invested into Stephen than he thought he was and that he loves Stephen because we've all we've only really seen besides the last episode where he turns over to and gives Stephen some um agency to to use his expertise mostly what we've seen is contempt hey you're not ready for this you can't do this get out of the body i need the body we haven't really seen Stephen uh have any mark have any emotional use for Stephen um, the only thing we've seen is him use him as a utility. And in this one, you can it's obvious that he needs him. So I think the journey in both the examination room um, and in the afterlife realm was about them uh, building a bond with one another and about Steven understanding why he's there and about Mark helping him contextualize that. And to use two different narratives to kind of like join those characters um, was fantastic. And it was, and the way that they did it, it was surrealism at its best. The best use of surrealism, the best use of surrealism in anything that Marvel has ever done.
4: I mean, I also think what's interesting to me is that the emotional thing about Steven, a character that I've had trouble wrapping my mind around, but something I appreciate about this episode, is that Steven has to come to terms with the fact that he is he was created as kind of like a figment of Mark's imagination. That everything that he's experienced in the world isn't necessarily as real as he thinks it is. And that's a heartbreaking moment on two levels. When he sees what ended up happening with a young Mark and his mom, he has to realize like this version of my mom is not the one that was who she was in reality, A. B, that she's no longer here with us. And then see that does any of that matter anymore? Maybe it does or doesn't because I am just, I am the second personality. I am not the main one. And that's, that shows, that puts the whole kind of uh, show in a different light because we're introduced to Steven first. And now us as viewers are like, oh, Steven was just a figment. He wasn't the real personality. And that's such a difficult thing for Steven to come to grips with. And it was a really, really heartbreaking.
2: A lot of this has to do with the tour de force that we're getting from O.I. But Oscar Isaac, like Jomi said before, I, one thing I agree with Jomie um, is that Oscar Isaac is in his absolute bag. So I thought about this to myself. What are some of the best performances that I've seen on screen in the MCU? A little list. Number one, Robert Downey Jr. in the original Iron Man. Number two, Robert Downey Jr. In Avengers Endgame, which I actually thought was a strong enough up, uh, uh, like performance to garner an Oscar nomination. Oh. I, uh, uh, I'm, not there. I'm not there yet. You know that's my god That's Come on. I'm not there
0: yet. Wow. I think that's more of like an honorary, like he served his time. Like No, I think break? I think he
2: should have got I think he should got nominated for Oscar. I got
0: nothing for you, liar.
2: <laughs> I love that whole little thing. What's you mean? You can't, I can't, what's you mean? Well, how did fight I him? Fight him. He's unbeatable. <laughs> like that whole I thought he was fantastic in the movie. And I thought, I thought, I thought he deserved an Oscar nomination, like for, for that film. Okay. And then I personally thought Chris Hemsworth uh in Thor Ragnarok was fantastic. <laughs> Um, I thought he was perfect. Um, And those are my ones. And if I'm being honest with you, you know, I'm sure there's a couple of that I'm forgetting um, as I was making this list this morning. But if I'm being honest with you, Oscar Isaac blows all of those out of the water. I mean, of course, you have uh, Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision. She was right there. Yeah, she held it wild. down and showed crazy range in WandaVision. But really, she would probably be second. To him, I think he blew. I think he's blowing it out of the water. What do you? This what's wild about that, Charles? And I want to hear everybody else's too. By the way,
4: I think in terms of like, d- ten years later of like performances where we're just like, oh, this is like an iconic performance. I don't think that this quite matches up to what Chadwick did as Black Panther, just in terms of like the emotion of that movie. So
2: I don't. You know what? I, I miss one from that movie. I'm sorry. It's not Chadwick. It's actually Killmonger.
4: I was gonna say I was my next one was gonna be Killmonger. I think both both of those performances, you could pick various parts of those movies. And I think what they are doing is very just kind of like out of this world. Uh I think nothing in this beats Tom Holland's disappearing from um Infinity War, just in terms of like what it did to me in uh the thing. I'm just gonna be real. I'm I'm gonna be real. Here's the thing. Is this performance? I'm not saying this performance is bad. I think this performance is more showy it's a tour de force in terms of like he gets longer to do the thing because like it's built around his performance in terms of like iconic status of what like i will remember years and years later i can remember where i was during like black panther you know when chadwick sees his father when like killmonger's about to die when peter is like disappearing like those to me like i can remember where i was and i'll never forget this, like, I'm just like, it's cool. It's like a tour de force. I don't think this is like Oscar Isaac's like best thing he's ever done. It's it's interesting. It's cool. Like it's enjoyable. It's like popcorn. I like it. Jomi, Jomi, please. I mean, it's
3: it's it's interesting that you compare moments to like the whole this whole episode, right? It'd be like comparing like Derek Fisher's one, you know, point four shot to like a season of LeBron James. Like, yeah, it's a great moment. For sure, like no one's disagreeing with you, but like we're talking about this hour of television.
4: All right, well, the question was, in the, in the script, was this the best single performance the MCU turned out with Oscar Isaac in this episode? So is that just Oscar Isaac's performance or
0: all MCU? Okay, s- since, I, since I wrote the question, I'll amend it slightly just to add a bit of specificity. Do you think that this is the most dramatic and emotionally impactful performance that the MCU has given us?
2: I think it's the most dramatic, but really I think that w- what when it's in competition with is probably Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision a- and then potentially Tom Hillston and in the Loki television show and then Robert Downey Jr. to me in Endgame. I think I think performances, I think that Killmonger is one of the best movie performances. And I think Killmonger overshadowed Chadwick's performance as Black Panther. Chadwick was amazing as Black, pa- as Black Panther, fantastic as Black Panther. But I could make an argument that he had less to do in the movie than, than Killmonger. You're did, always which... trying to get this takeoff. I'm not trying to get the takeoff. I'm saying he had less to do in the movie. And by the way, being the A number one solid carrot, 24 carat gold performer that he is, he did not try in any way to take anything from Eric Killmonger's performance, from Michael B. Jordan's performance, he understood it was his job to play the hero and his job to be the steady, even-kill prince, and that's what he did for the entire movie. You know what I mean? So, like, to me, I I just think that when you have somebody that's dealing with as many things um, in this role right here as Oscar Isaac is dealing with, just every scene is this driving cutting, piercing weight. And I think that he just, I think he nailed that, Charles. And I think, you know... I, I, you guys are I, acting
4: like I said, he didn't nail it. You were just comparing it to history. And I think the other thing too is like, what hasn't happened yet is, we need time. A lot of times as a critic, it's like what you feel in the moment And it's just like, yo, in years, are people going to be clipping this performance out and being like, yo, remember when you saw this? Remember when you saw episode five of Moon Knight? I don't know if that'll be happening. A lot of time, these performances, you have to, like, do they stand the age, like, the test of time? Because a lot of these, like, MCU ones don't.
1: Let's talk about Konshu for a second.
2: <laughs> so, when I was in Greek mythology class back in the day, which was one of my favorite classes, I learned something. I learned that Zeus is a freak. He was out, he was getting it in. As Zeus. 80
0: different animals.
2: Zeus is a freak. First of all, it was weird times back there in, in Greece because Zeus want to get to a woman, he turns into a bird. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I don't know. Like you turn to a swan, and that gets the girl going, and then you pop in. Oh, Zeus, horrific with the thunderbolts or whatever. Zeus-erific. Yeah, so, so wow. And I, after I looked at it, you know, I think to myself, Zeus is toxic. Zeus got like bastard children running around everywhere that he sometimes helps, demigods. He, yep that he sometimes helps and that he sometimes lets figure it out for themselves. Zeus is kind of a dick. i tell you one thing. As far as gods go, Zeus and Odin, who is a space imperialist, a conqueror, Odin, colonizer. The colonizer. They can't hold a candle to Conchú to Khonshu. is a fucking asshole. Like, there's nothing about Kanchu in this entire show. In all the episodes that we've seen, that is positive. And the scene in this episode where Mark <laughs> is dying and Khonshu is working him mentally <laughs> is like nuts. I'm watching this like, bruh, would somebody stab Khonshu with this shit? Like, <laughs> working him as he's dying. Like, Khonshu is a real problem. I My question
4: coming out of that scene, because Steve sees it clearly, that Khonshu is manipulating Mark, when did that manipulation start? Like, did, did it start when...
2: There's some evidence that it started during, when he was a kid.
4: Or when it seemed like they were hinting at the fact that, like, when Steven's walking to the cave and he sees the the bird skeleton that kind of looks like Khonshu, was this kind of a fate thing where Khonshu has been working him since childhood to basically put him into a place where that when he finally meets Mark, he's at a point where he's just like, all right, you're my avatar now. You're broken down. You're weak enough where I can take advantage of you and use you to my end.
0: I, I honestly could see that in like two different ways because like you see when he's like walking into the cave when his brother's about to die, like you see like the little bird skeleton that looks like Kanchu. Yeah. So like it's implied that he's like around. Watching him the whole time. Watching yeah. like you could say that that might be some undue influence but that also could just be that like you know he's been kind of ever watching and ever present in his life just to see what might happen because like the the idea of god's being like these uninterested things that like only want to like play with humans when they see interesting aspects of them i think that's what makes Kanchu so like messed up and interesting because like only because he's such a fractured and broken person is why he wants to mess with them in the first place. And there's this
2: idea of gods who can't stay out of humanity's business. It's a difference. There's a difference in lording over humanity and sort of being a part and being an overseer of what humanity should do and shouldn't do, and being a a god that wants to be active and very active in what's going on between men. And it seems like Kanchu needs his vengeance and he can't worry about whether or not people res- like uh, like uh, love him or respect what he means enough to go and get his vengeance because will want wanted to. He needs the spirit of vengeance, and that's what he chose for Mark. I wanted to get into the God stuff before we move on to some
4: of the more deeper stuff. Where I thought it was very very interesting that a Thor, uh, the Thor trailer drops before this episode. In this trailer, they basically hint at that all of these gods are existing. Not in in similar planes, but Black Panther ancestral realm is different than the Fields of Reeds. And it seems that they're saying, depending upon your religion, depending upon what you believe and what your mind can handle, when somebody in the Marvel Universe dies, they go to one of these realms. Which I thought was very, very interesting because it plays into some of the stuff that they've been talking about with Thor, where is just like, how much is Thor a god and how much is he an alien and how much is this just a different dimension, a different realm? And I was just like, oh, that's this is kind of like one of the most fascinating things about the episode, which I wish they would have spent even just a little bit more time on.
2: Well, I mean, I think the way to do that when you're talking about gods and religion is that, so there's 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 a tenet of monotheistic Western religions that one of them is right and the rest of them lead to hellfire and damnation. Yeah. so uh, when you're dealing with when you're taking, when you have lore that comes from this many different places from all over the world I guess the way you do this is you say hey, everyone's right, your interpretation and the energy put out is what you're going to get back in the afterlife, and that way you're avoiding being in the situation well yes, Thor is a real god, and then Kanshu is not a real god, or then Zeus is a real god and then Thor isn't a real god you You have different ways to explain what it is that we perceive as what godliness or what uh, ultimate power is in Marvel because remember in in the Marvel comics there is a supreme being over the entire universe yeah um, and so being that that's the case uh, there are all of these different pockets where humanities and humanity and different races and different species have to live and however they perceive whatever they perceive to be their gods are I guess or what their gods actually are and that's kind of true the way you know the way we live on earth right now we worship most things I mean we worship there are a lot of people listening to this who worship these characters more than they worship any god that they might think that they serve so you know a lot of people if they were going to choose their heaven or go to their ideal heaven it would fucking be Avengers mansion (laughs) Like People would be, if people were people like, they would want to be moving stuff around and doing crazy shit. So um, it's just an interesting concept that these planes are, are tethered to one another. Jumpster, your thoughts on Mark's mom as a character. There is one thing that Charles said that I kind of agreed with is that we see Mark's mom and she's making stuff for a barbecue and in the very next scene she's mommy fucking dearest she has completely flipped granted something incredibly traumatic happened she has completely flipped and lost the ability to mother forever your thoughts <laughs> i thought it was tough
3: i thought it was really hard to to watch you know like you said we see her in the bar making the barbecue and Little little Mark goes over to his brother, which, by the way, who is drawing a one-finned goldfish. Yeah. It's like the goldfish right? that
2: Stephen has later on.
3: Right? And they go, they die, or Ro dies. And then his mom is just like, like you said, like a different individual. And I think part of it is like she's going through her own thing, too. You know, and that Mark and his father just did not understand, right? And she, we'll see it later later in the episode, but she takes it out on him. She blames Mark squarely for what happened, you know, which is wildly unfair. And just, you know, horrible parenting all around, to be clear. But (laughs) for her to sit back and just, like, do Mark like that for years, you know, for years, you can't help but look at Mark, you know, in a different light afterwards. Look at the character and be like, okay, so like, this is why you are, why you are. This is what made you, you know. As as much crap have we, as we've given Mark for being like a terrible human being the last four episodes, uh-huh. you got to look back and be like, ah, you, you was really going through it, you know. That doesn't excuse your behavior, but we understand, you know, where
2: the disconnect has come from. How do we feel about the Layla erasure in this episode?
4: I don't know if it, it, it's erasure. I just think that like there are a lot of spinning, spinning plates. And it's like they're they are introducing us to Mark's entire family. Then we have multiple realms. We have Egypt, we have the Psych Ward, we have in his mind, we have his memories. Like there, there becomes a certain point where I think I said it earlier in the episode. I like this episode, but I was just kind of like, there is so much going on. If you added the Layla to it, I think that's the, that might be the one thing that just like totally kind of derails everything just because they barely have time for Mark and Steven. If the other word, like for Steven,
3: if the word out of his mouth wasn't my mom, it was Layla. Like that was mm-hmm. what he was worried about. So, you know, they kept her They kept her on our minds, you know, blood. And like, hey man, we got to go protect her
2: and make sure that it's okay. Can I pitch you, know you guys that, on something? I, I, before you say that, there's yeah. one performance that we've, that we were talking about MCU performances that I feel like we 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 left out. Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow, it's he's good.
0: great, he's fantastic, it's good, he's really good, especially in this one, really good. Chuck Wagon, yeah, where you? Yeah, <laughs> don't you yell at me, motherfucker? What you guys? I know you I thought
2: you got something spicy something to say really, about really it. Really quick,
4: so yeah, address it. Let's address something. This is the thing that, like, in fandom, I'm really, really tired of. And, like, <laughs> it, it happens all the time. If you're not, like, this is the best thing ever, people are like, stop <laughs> being a fucking hater. And I'm just like, can't
2: anything be good? Like, if I say it's good, like, why does everything just have to be the best shit ever? You know? <laughs> Charles, let me ask you a question. Before we move yeah. on, what is the best thing ever?
4: Oh, God. All right. Nobody's going to give a fuck about this. But One Piece, episode 1015. Oh, my God. (laughs) Beautiful. Best thing ever. Come on. Nobody's going to give a fuck about this. I don't know.
2: (laughs) It's the fact that you had that answer so fast. I had it locked and loaded. He was like, I was ready. (laughs) I knew it was going to be some off-the-wall shit. I knew it was going to be some off-the-wall shit. I'm telling you. I knew I uh, asked Charles that and it was going to be some really off the wall shit afro Jesus samurai Christ, season two man. or some crazy shit i'm uh, no, not dead. wait but i i
4: wanted to go back to something actually like i think that's very very important and i think that this is probably what the show tried to do even maybe if it if it was a little wonky is that i was thinking the whole time why tara why did you go with the goddess of of childbirth and the goddess of motherhood And I was thinking that I think that's the show trying to give us kind of like this symbolic representation of how messed up Stephen and Mark's relationship with their own mom is. And that it is a mother figure trying to kind of birth them into this new plane and this new layer of life or death, however you see it. And I think the the thing that, while that kind of is smart and you're like, oh shit, symbolism, metaphors, great. I think the thing that, I was like, "Eh," that... Scratch me a little bit wrong is that we see five seconds of Mark's mom being a really, really, really good mother and then we kind of jump to physical abuse and I think that it's meant to be jarring, but I think the reason that Steven loves his mom so much, the reason that Mark goes back to the Shiva is because she was a good mom once upon a time and that as a viewer, I just wanted a few more beats in terms of like how how traumatic was this for Mark losing losing his mother? Like you needed a couple more beats of, of normalcy before this big tragedy strikes because you literally go from her kind of being this heroic figure to this demon. And I think humans
2: are a little bit more
4: nuanced than that.
2: Yeah. Am I being well, too critical of that moment? No, look, you keep saying we need more beats and too many beats turns your P red. <laughs> You, Jomi, uh, Mark and Steve's relationship as exposed in this episode, your thoughts. Thought it was great.
3: I thought it was really fantastic to see them like face to face, not through mirrors, not through reflections, but to see them like touch each other, look at each other in the eyes, and you know, try and hold each other accountable. Yeah.
2: It's good. So um the scales get balanced later on in this episode. After Steven dies, falls off the boat. We get a fight with some sand people. Taurus right there. You know,
0: Tuscan Raiders, not sand people.
2: Excuse, oh, excuse. Ooh.
3: Mm. ooh. Mm.
2: Check your privilege, Van. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So Steve dies. Uh, St- Steven, no, excuse me. Steven. Steven dies. <laughs> the scales balance. And he gets led to the field of wreaths. Number one is the last we've seen of Steven. Number two, if it was the last we saw of Steven, how would you feel about it?
4: I don't think that this is the last we've seen of Steven. I think, I. I think that this show is going to be a lot about Mark not demonizing Steven and maybe Jake or whoever other personalities are, are there, but coming to terms with his mental illness and realizing that the thing that Steven did do for Mark is that Steven saves him from a lot of these traumatic experiences until until he's ready to deal with them. The, the the sacrifice if you think about it is not Steven fighting physically to save Mark. The actual sacrifice is the Steven personality is the one who finally pushes him to open that door from his childhood. And he's the he's the actual one who to be like to bounce the scales we tr- like we need to go here. And I think that like the reason that I'm like I don't think Steven's gone is because this whole show seems to be building up to this point of like the best version of Mark is him come to terms with his mental illness and not demonizing parts of it, but realizing that, that it's all part of
2: himself. How do you guys think Steven is going to come back? Seems like a question for the writers.
0: Uh, well, I, th- I think that, <laughs> I think that, like, what I could see in a finale here is Mark kind of beginning to, whether or not this is like a you know him escaping the afterlife or whatever, but like I think it, it comes to like Charles said, like an acceptance of all aspects of him, the mm-hmm. acknowledging the good in that Stephen brings to him and his life, mm-hmm. and kind of embracing all other aspects, and it's it leads into what we could possibly see for him down the road. I don't know how I don't know how them old Duke boys are going to get out of this one, but uh, oh. it's it's a it's a certain uh, challenge for sure.
2: Interesting Dukes of Hazard reference. You like that show, huh, Steve? Yeah. You enjoy the General Lee, don't you?
0: Hell yeah. Oh. Wow. Why would you you set yourself up for that? Oh. I did. I did.
2: Did you have a General Lee maybe on a car or on a t shirt or Absolutely something like that? not.
0: Yeah, Is maybe. Is that a you
2: Confederate did. flag behind you, Steve? Oh, oh, Stevie. Steve. Steve. You enjoy <laughs> that show, huh? It was Daisy, wasn't it? You freak. <laughs> That's why you watch that show. You're way too young. That's why to you watch that it. show, Van. Come on. Like, uh, I, by, by the way, I used to love the Dukes of Hazzard. Dukes of Hazzard, good, so good cool. old boy. Come on. Never lead in no hall. Dukes. Come on. Uh, <laughs> we all, we've Ridiculous. all been in trouble with the law since the day of Can you? Can born. someone please play Old Man Van
4: right now? What? Dukes and, Steve, Dukes that, Steve. Steve, Brian, and Steve, and oh. Steve, ancient. Because Steve is, like, 40 like you.
2: Joe not like, below 30. Steve, like, The Deuce of Hazard is a great show. Great show. And Steve watched The David Deuce of Hazard.
4: <laughs> Jesus <All>
2: Christ.
3: Oh right! <laughs> it's <nuts. All> right. <laughs> to answer Van's question, though, originally, we we saw them throw a whole bunch of souls down there. They right? Because apparently Ahmet's, you know, thing has already started. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, you know, when the souls come back,
2: Stevens comes back with them. Stevens comes back with them. Um, so obviously we have to bring Konshu has to come back because if Konshu doesn't come back, the Moon Knight suit doesn't, the Moon Knight suit and Avatar can't come back and then Steve can't get, uh, Mark can't get out of where he was. Of course, we know that, you know, Spectre has died before in the comic books. Um, and, oh, by the way, I will say something that I haven't mentioned about this episode that I really appreciated was... Them leaning into Spector's heritage a little bit more, talking about sitting shiva, something I did with a dear friend of mine, Lawrence Bender, not too long ago after he lost his father. Uh, it was an amazing cultural experience. So using that as something that's in a, in a uh, an emotional driver of the episode was really good. I also want to come back and piggyback on a story on a on a on a point made about Stephen going to see to his mom shiva. Um, when somebody's your mom, they're always your mom. Yeah, like they, it was, when somebody's your mom, they're always your mom. You just you keep pulling at your parents. Like you see yourselves in them. Like you keep pulling at them, pulling at them, pulling at them until you run out of threat. So like when somebody like for him, when he's sitting there looking at his mom, he's hoping to see her in some sort of way. And the fact that he can't bring himself to go in, I think was the the telltale situation. He's doing everything. He's got his yarmulke on, he's dressed properly, he just can't take that extra step because she failed to be able to take that extra step to love him in spite of the terrible thing that happened. So Wait, I thought that we, was... Can we silly. talk about
4: the father? Because we've talked about uh, Mark's mom a lot. But the father figure kind of had me split because he was caught in a weird position where he's the parent that obviously, like, was kind of the support when the mom was going through everything that she was going through, her own mental, uh, a mental and emotional battle. But when like the father is begging his teenage son to stay, I'm just like, dog, like he's getting abused. Like at a certain point, like my heart breaks because I'm just like, you didn't stop that. Of course he wants to leave. Like this is this is hurting him. I was just kind of like, this is wild.
2: Yeah, problems with him, huh? You want to you you want to you want to strike back against the father? I mean,
4: I, all I'll say is I was just like. There's some culpability there in terms of like you want him to stay in this abusive relationship without and, and he's crying out to you. And I think the dad, like to be fair, is in a is in a difficult position too. But I felt for Mark when he leaves. I felt for Mark having to go like to the
2: military and get his aggression out there. I felt I felt bad for him. Uh, I just got a text message. Hey Van, how are you doing? Uh it's Mark Spector's dad. Uh, Charles doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about until he's (laughs) raised the son, lost the son, and why this is a great text, lost the son and had to deal with the mom, uh, then tell him to shut up, uh, get off me, and I'm still chilling. I don't know what this last thing means. Bing bong, I don't know why he said that.
4: Oh, so that was right. Wait, <laughs> you and I felt I a certain way when like the dad sees Mark out there, like drinking, going through it. And I'm like, are you not going to leave and go like grab and hug your son who's like crying?
2: Okay. <sighs> this, entire, <laughs> this entire damn, episode. I'm the only one. I know I'm with it's it. No, it's I, fucked up. I'm with it. Look, this episode was a I keep trying to tell you guys this episode was a downer. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, we're, we're talking about all of this stuff. This stuff is fucking depressing. It's like, heavy. This, episode, yeah. this episode was a it was good. It was a downer. Oh, I Van, you
4: said earlier you were just like, I don't know if I'll ever watch this again. I was just Never. Like, I was yeah. just like, I don't know if I can re-watch. This is like a painful watch. Yeah. This is a lot was- going on. I watched it again this morning.
3: Oh, did you? You're I, one for pain. I I, enjoy, I I mean, I like I said, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You said, it's it's the, the, you said it was it, the best. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot, though. It is a lot.
2: Real quick, let's talk about two last things here. One, Arthur. Arthur seems like he's a pretty clear in the lead here. He seems like he's controlling things if you ask me. I'm still wondering how the hospital connects to everything and wh- is is Arthur right now an active participant in all of this or is everything that's happening right now when we see Arthur Harrow in this as the doctor are all of these is all of this coming from Mark and Stephen's perspective? Or is Harrow in some way being active? You think it's all in their minds, you know I, mean?
3: I think it's all in his head. I think he's just, you know, reusing characters from his life to populate the, the mindscape. And Arthur Harrow is the great villain, a.k.a. the doctor who's trying to, you know, solve his problem, the problem he doesn't want, he doesn't think he has. And so that's why Dr. Harrow is, you know, or that's why Harrow is Dr. Harrow. In the scenario,
0: I think that this is actually—I don't know—that this is like a two levels deep inception type of situation, where like when he's in the when he's in the fugue state of drugs in the imaginary mental institution, and then he is then somehow dead in Egypt. uh, I think that this is more like this might be, in my opinion, a big ruse planned by Arthur of the 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 facade of like the doctors and the mental institution and all that stuff believe that that might be the case now only because there's just so many other layers of interacting between Mark and Steven in what we know is inside of his head. There's still like this mental game with Arthur that he's playing with him that is still making things unclear. Like we know that the office that he is in is the same room that is in his London estate. He could say he's in a hospital in Chicago, but he really is in that room. Like, whether or not that's in his head, it's a brilliant sort of way of, you know, delineating those two things. But I think that there's more at play in the mental institution itself.
4: I don't, I mean, Tarot does say that this is your mind's way of coping with being in the afterlife. I do actually
0: think in, in this version of the afterlife. Yes.
4: I mean, I will just say that I would find it very interesting. Like, if they redid it all, if that was the main mystery of like, is, is his time in this psych ward real? Because because it's all white, because there's kind of like all this fantastic stuff, we're kind of like, this is Mark's mind slash underworld, where I'm just like, there is an interesting version of this where we're just like, oh, this is actually really realistic. Is Harrow who he says he is? Is this a real place? Who mm-hmm. is who? Um, but it just comes so much later. We're just like, oh no, this is all in his head.
0: I think either way, it's a satisfying sort of reveal when it comes to the end of it. There are a lot of ways to go. For sure.
2: All right, last question. Moon Knight, like all Marvel shows at the end of the penultimate episode, has a shit ton of work to do in the finale. (laughs) There's a possibility, at least in my opinion, that we get an unresolved finale. I think we kind of will because, once again, Marvel is not playing the same games as they used to do with us. What they used to do was get an actor, contract them for 150 movies. (laughs) Then after the first movie, kill that actor or put them in a position where we might think that they're dead. And then we go, guess what? We know we got 150 more films to come back. In this particular situation, we are dealing with something different. They are being cagey uh, at best and skeptical at worst about whether or not Oscar Isaac will reprise this role in anything in the future. I find it very unlikely that we could lose Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight I just don't know why you would come and do it unless they bring structure. So I guess my question is, we're probably going to get a cliffhanger. But what if we're unresolved at the end of this? What if we don't get answers to some of the more biting questions in this show? Has the show delivered on enough for you guys right now for us not to get a, a, a nice bow on it in the last episode?
0: I think that the idea of a quote-unquote unresolved finale uh, can mean many things now in this day and age for the MCU. Uh, The post-credit scene for this season of Moon Knight could be Moon Knight Season 2 coming soon, because we saw that with Loki. This could be something where this show ends and we are announced with a Moon Knight movie. Uh, we always have those goalposts move and shift for different reasons one way or the other. I think an unresolved or possibly cliffhanger ending to this show uh, works because it also reflects the kind of the suspended animation that Oscar Isaac seems to be in for the MCU. And I think that's fun because the idea that, you know, a character like Mark and Steven and Moon Knight kind of living in this limbo, say he doesn't get out of the afterlife, say he's you know, still left his own devices in this mental institution with a sort of satisf- satisfying, you know, reclamation of self. I think that's a cool ending. And if we get to see him or not again, that's up to them.
3: Hmm. Jones, to Steve's point, it really depends on whether he comes back in a in a movie, like a big team-up movie, or he comes Midnight, back for... Midnight, sons! You see it. You see the vision, Right. Or does he come back for Moon Knight Season 2, right? If it's Moon Knight Season 2, then of course, you you know, throw a little bait out there. So we, we're hanging on for the second season. If it's Midnight Suns or any other team-up movie, do we get a look at that, right? It really depends on the unfinished, you know, what they, what they leave out. In regards to Moon Knight, the character, I think they've done a good job establishing who he is. Like what made him this way and what he does, and so if they're like, we'll see Moon Knight eventually. Who knows? I'm cool with that, right? I'm cool with them throwing out a little little something to keep us tied it of, tied it over, regardless where we see him again. You know, but they've done a good job establishing Moon Knight. I think of establishing Moon Knight Mark as a, as an MCU character. So wherever you see him again, works for me.
4: Yeah, I'm going to be honest. They need to land this ending. Like, if they, like, if they don't, if they don't stick this landing, <laughs> come on. Like, come on. like I, we can't we keep waiting keep on a curve. Like, they're going to have, like, at a certain point, like, this is six Sir weeks flag, of our lives. Like, worry. we gotta, you gotta stick the landing. I'm not doing this well. It'll be cool if we see him in Midnight Suns. I'm like, no, like, the director and the creators were very, very adamant they wanted to create something that was separate from the MCU. They wanted to create something that was separate from like all of the the canon shit and just make a really, really tight, interesting story that, that they wanted to create. I got to grade them on that.
2: If they don't stick uh, the landing. Cannon. They want to create something different from that. So you feel like they need to stick the, they need to stick the landing.
4: Yeah. I, I, here's the thing. I think the reason that we keep bringing up is like, do they have enough time to do what they need to do? Or is it going to be like every other MCU show? I'm like, yeah, that's a problem. If this show leaves us again being like, fuck, like, they rushed the ending again, I'm going to have the same feeling I had for most of these shows. We'd be like, yo, guys, come on. Like, if we're going to invest five, six weeks of our lives, like, the ending needs to kind of, like, live up to our expectations of it. I think that's kind of, like, fair uh, at this point. Mm. Mm. It's not fair to ask for a satisfying ending, Jomi. Is that what we're going to
3: argue? But, I mean, we, I mean, we talked about this after WandaVision, right? Like, that when, well, we, not we didn't have the show back then, but, like, we collectively, like, ah, this ending kind of not really what we wanted from the show, right? And, like, we're all, like we said at the beginning of the episode, we're excited for Multiverse of Madness, right? We're excited to see that character again. So, ultimately, we'll just have to see what happens next, right? After, whenever what happens in episode six, right? If they landed or if they don't. I think the character of Moon Knight has established himself enough as, as, as a person that we're like, okay, Moon Knight, we know what Moon Knight's about. When they show up again, that'll be cool. They don't have to like, the, sh- like, the show itself, sure, needs to do, like, I'm not disagreeing with you, needs to do a, a good job of wrapping this whole thing up for us to like look back and be like, how did we fill up in the six weeks of television? But the character, I think, done a good enough job to where if we see them again, whether it's a TV show, movie, it'll be fine. Fuck it. It won't be like fuck out of we'll here. We're like, ah, Moon Night. No. No. Mm, <laughs>
4: it, I don't think that's true. Joe, I don't think it, that's if true. If the nets get swept <laughs> The next day, we're not just true. like, well, we got to see what they do next season. We're like, nah, Pac-Watch is in the fucking air. Like, dog, if it doesn't <laughs> land, this like, we're not going to just be like, oh, it's okay, what don't I'm get him next time. The Fuck show, out of here. I see the, your Twitter. We're sh- not doing this today. We're not doing this today, Jomi. Fuck out of here. Come the on. Show, man.
3: The show, like, I don't disagree that the show has to land. Of course, to talk about Moon Knight, the show, but Moon Knight, the character,
4: Smart Spectre. I think he's in a great spot. If he's in Midnight Sun's cool, I'm gonna be so excited. If they do not land this season finale, I'm going to be like once again, like guys, you have to like stick the landing, like for us to invest our time. That's all I'm
2: saying. Or hold on, hold on, hold on. Or what, Charles? Or or like, or like they they have to stick the landing. Or what?
4: You want to know what else? Everybody's. Let's face it, Charles. They got you. Charles, you're so negative. Charles, you're so negative. I'm like dog. If they don't stick the landing, that's why I'm
2: being negative. So just real quick before we go, um, before we wrap the show, I haven't seen a lot of Moon Knight in this this series. It's just a fact now. It's just a fact. This is episode five. He wasn't, Moon Knight was in it for half of one scene. Okay. (laughs) So we haven't seen a lot of Moon Knight. What percentage of next week's show, this is, I just need the percentage. What percentage of next week's show
0: will have Moon Knight in it?
3: Well, first of all, Mark is Moon Knight. Uh, Let's mark it. Okay.
2: Moon
0: Knight, guys. Uh, again, Joe Me, the semantic warrior. <laughs> I'm, here. Talking, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm
2: talking about the carriers. Joe Me, you know, Joe Me, you know, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> a, a, a fucking guy. You know what I'm talking about. This is me <laughs> off now. The motherfucker in the white cape, nigga. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Whoever you want to call that guy.
0: All right, Steve,
2: How much? what percentage of next week's show will have Moon Knight in it?
0: will or want to um i hope that it's not a lot i hope that it's like maybe 10 20 percent because we know that hope the that it's not a lot yeah what are we doing guys what are we here's doing
2: like steve like what like what you hope that it's not a lot yeah well
0: <laughs> why because why the strongest parts of the show don't have moon knight
2: in it well how can you how can you say the strongest parts of the show don't have moon knight in it? Well, there's not enough Moon Knight in the show to make that assessment.
0: Because well, because you may as well stick to what you know now. Because clearly it doesn't. it isn't interested in making Moon Knight strong. So stick with things that are strong. Uh-huh. My brother. My, my brother in this. Christ. I can't see do this it.
2: with y'all today. I can't do this with y'all. Jomie, how, <laughs> how much Moon Knight do you feel like you there's going to be? How much Moon Knight do you need, Jummy? I feel like this honestly, this is gonna be like 50% Moon
3: Knight. It's <laughs> gonna be like a whole final <laughs> battle. But I agree with you though. I agree with you. This the show is has built its foundation on not being about Moon Knight in in costume. About it's literally about being Mark trying to figure himself out. So that's what the show's best at. But I don't know, it's Marvel, bro. We're gonna have to get this fight scene and, So
0: and let me and let me tweak this question a bit. What's what's been our favorite finale? Ever since we started this thing, it's been Loki. And that finale is about a people talking in a room, figuring shit out. Every other finale, WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, everything, it's been CGI Punch Fest. Do you Mother want this King's finale? In to be- that shit. Like, what are we, what are I we doing? And he was well, talking. I love how we act like shit just
2: didn't happen. But yeah, it was about talking. But like all we got in this show up to this point, I love the show. Yes. yes. We need to see somebody get punched. Okay. Like, like we need Moon. We need Moon Knight to kick somebody, bro. I, bro I'm sorry, bro. I, I love this show. We need Moon Knight to do a flip. We need Moon Knight to say to Yo. like jump off of something, bro. Thank you. This is my is my brother. We need Moon Thank you. to do a roundhouse kick. <laughs> <laughs> we need him to throw him Moon Knight a ring or like we bro, oh come my on, God. bro.
3: Well, uh, actually, I I'm sorry, I got, bro.
2: Guys, remember I've the whole actually... Superman movie. Where Superman didn't even wrestle with anybody, and we was like, "Yo, what the fuck is Superman doing?" <laughs> like, 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 what is like, what the, what the hell? I'm not. I, I'm which I love the show, but I would like to see Moon Knight do some fucking Craft Maga or something <laughs> bro. in the Steve, next episode.
3: Steve, the whole episode is just gonna be uh, Arthur Harrow and Mark just chatting out, like hashing just up just sitting problems, down the whole time, just oh, talking hell, over me... some tea. Kang shows up. Tea. How about that?
2: You love the show now. <laughs> Kang shows up. Like it's 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 a, it's a little different, Steve. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> Charles. What, like, what do you think?
4: Nah, if Moon Knight's not whipping ass for like 50 percent of that episode. I'm gonna talk my shit. Like I don't give a fuck. Like y'all don't <laughs> know, have I, to. I feel I feel like this is
0: interesting. I'm like I don't
2: need it anymore. Like
4: okay. I
0: we've gone so long. Why stop now? Because oh. I,
2: like you know what, hey, yeah. you know what you know what Steve is like. Steve's like a Diet Coke
0: drinker. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I just want the caffeine? Is that it?
2: No, no, no. <laughs> Let me tell you. People want to cut calories, they start drinking Diet Coke. That's so not the way to do that. <laughs> after a while, I know, but this is what niggas used to do back before we had the internet. So, like, back after, after a while, you get used to Diet Coke. Like, you get used to the taste of Diet Coke, you don't feel like you need Coke anymore. It's like, I've gone without Diet... I've gone without Coke for so long, this Diet Coke tastes just fine. You know what happens? You at a party somewhere, they don't have Diet Coke, and you drink a real Coke. And it makes your... Uh, wanna... uh, and, you, and, and you're like, Jesus Christ. So, Steve, you feel like you don't need any Coke right now because you haven't had any. But if you... If you get some next episode, you're going to drink it and have a Coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. That's what's going to happen. I, I want to put it here. You can put this at the
4: top. We could, we could. I don't... If Moon Knight is in this next episode, kicking all types of ass, we get super amazing fucking fight scenes. I don't want to hear Jomi or Steve come back on here and be like, oh, this was so great, blah, 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 blah because y'all said you didn't need it. I don't want to hear that shit. Because you said you'd rather like not have I, it.
3: You said you'd rather not have it. It's, at all, this point. it's all about how you use the tools. He, he can do what he wants, man. I'm having a great time. I th- I'm, I'm liking it this a lot.
0: I don't need a CGI punch fest, but if we get it and it's good, then let's cool. go. Cool. Now, y'all, yeah. if we get it, we let's do Y'all niggas, y'all niggas, crawfish. All
2: right, cool. how <laughs> we y'all crawfish? Y'all niggas crawfish. <laughs> we're going let's <laughs> go. Look, we're gonna
3: get the CGI fight. Like we know this, yeah. Right, like like we like we talked about this in like episode one. Loki is the anomaly, right? Wanda Vision. Uh, Hawkeye, what if, like everything we've seen so far, the last episode becomes, you know, a nice big fight scene between the hero and the villain. So we'll probably get that and that'll probably be fine. But I think what Steve is trying to say is if we don't get that, because the show has not given us anything close to that so far, that's also okay. Steve will live, he will go about his his day and yeah, love himself. He'll be right, chilling.
4: Right, right. Listen, I stay at the beach the way y'all flip-flopping. Let's take this out. Come Relax.
3: on. Wait, I got one more question, though. What you got? We, in the last episode, not today's, but last week's, we saw a sarcophagus shaking. And in this episode, at when he's talking to Harrow the first time, and he's got that uh, little award, glass award, he's speaking a little, a little different. You know, it, sound, it don't sound like... Like, Jake, it don't sound like Mark Horstey. Will we see Jake in episode six or at all in this this show? got to be honest with you, don't care.
2: (laughs) Interesting. Wow. It would be cool. It would be cool. But I'm so invested in what's going on (laughs) with Mark and Steve right now.
0: Oh, maybe, like, you might not need them to see him punch anybody. (laughs)
2: see Ah, Jomi, good question Jomie question I'm not sure no I'm investing into what's happening I need a little I want to see Moon Knight guys I want to see I like I like to watch people fly and flip around you know what what I mean but but you know whatever All right, Jomie great question that is a wrap this coming Friday the House of R returns with their deep dive into the latest episode of Moon Knight and the Midnight Boys will be giving you instant reactions to every episode of Moon Knight Doctor Strange is right around the corner. Okay, Midnight Boys, we're giving their thoughts on the movie next Friday. Producer credits: Our producer is Steve Almond Joy, the cuddly lover boy. Jo me a dinner on hashtag Free join me on social media. Uh, additional production by Arjuna Ramgopal. Charles, it's very important that you take us out right now. Support my man Van's
4: book. Y'all heard what I said. And next time you eat a lot of beets, don't be scared if your pee is red. Adieu! Adieu! <laughs>
2: Is this a serious thing? Beets make your piss red. This is like a, a known thing. I, I never had that many this. beets oh, for it to happen. Oh, yeah, no, oh. How many beets you got to eat? Oh, yeah. my mom made. This is back in the two thousands. <laughs> I was first trying to like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <it> was like <laughs> I was getting in shape, and I had gone home. My mom made me this beet salad, right? So, when the first she was back to Louisiana, I visited an old flame. <laughs> uh, I visited an old flame. The next day, I had a beet salad for lunch. My mom makes the beet salad. I eat the beet salad. And later on that day, I'm peeing, and my pee is super-duper red. Like, it's red. And I'm like, what the fuck? Did you think you were dying? Yeah! (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm even looking. Like, it's like, it's it's red. It's like, it's red. And I'm flipping out. I'm calling. I'm like, yo, you all right? You good? Yeah, I'm fine. i was so great to see you. Yeah, it was then. Is it, though? You know what oh, I mean? Oh, God. I, 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 I'm That's a hor-
0: horrifying oh, moment. Wow. I, like, I would have dreamed if that happened.
2: fucking scary. Like, ridiculously scary. And it gets to the point to where I, I bring it up to my mom. I'm like, mom, I, I need to go to the doctor. I think I'm peeing blood. And she she didn't miss the beat. She goes, It's the beat salad from yesterday. She's watching TV. I'm like, what? She's like, it's the beats. You're not, there's nothing's wrong with you. I'm telling you. Has it ever happened before? No. Uh it's the beat salad. Don't even worry about it, son. I know what you're gonna do. So go do your whole freak out thing. Go do your anxiety <laughs> thing. But I'm telling you, it's the beat salads. Fresh beets, I put them in there. You know, they weren't cooked down very much. You're gonna have a little redness. I'm like, okay, cool. So this is this is all the beets that you want. Some say too wow. many beets, and you'll scare well, yourself. I will Charles.
4: say, here's the thing: beets are a top five worst vegetable. So well, I'll
2: whatever. never have this problem. You never had the beets out from John and Vinny's. Um <laughs>